0: You're listening to a message from The Church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. It's great to be here with y'all this morning. Y'all know this is one of my favorite things to do, so any chance I get to preach on a Sunday morning, I'm going to take it. Um, So I've got plenty of pages worth here so I hope you guys had plenty of coffee this morning if not feel free we have plenty back there uh it's not going to be disrespectful to me because I love coffee a lot in case you didn't know um so and sometimes like you just you need some like man I'm 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 digging this I'm digging the word this morning I just need some coffee so if you find yourself in that place this morning just help yourself totally cool um but before we get started this morning I just want to pray for us and for the time that we have together so let's pray um God, I just want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the people that you brought here today. God, I want to thank you that um, as we come here together, we, we, we come not to, um, to join one another in dread, but, but God, in joy. God, in deep, satisfying, comforting joy. Because truly, as the song that we just sang, the wrath of God has been satisfied in Christ alone. And so in Christ alone today, God, we put our faith and we pray this morning, God, that you would just be with us as we read your word, God, as we talk about fishing, as we close out this series, God, I, I, I pray that, that you would be doing things that would last for eternity. God, I pray that we would be living our lives for things that last for eternity. God, free us from distraction this morning. God, all of us have walked in here with anxieties, with stresses, with worries, things in, it, just in our life that, that aren't going well or the way that we would like it to be. But God, tonight, right, or this morning, we, we just bring that before you, and we say, just, just take that from us, God, and may you just just draw near to us this morning. God, we know that you are near to the brokenhearted. You are near to them. So God, I pray that you would make your presence known amongst us this morning, God. May you be glorified in the teaching. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, in case you guys have not been here the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Gone Fishing, and obviously this is a a sort of fishing theme, and um, reminds me of one of my favorite movies. Have anybody in here seen the movie called Grumpier Old Men? Okay, this is one of the very few times where a sequel is actually better than the first one. Very few times, okay? That is probably, it's a close, it, it battles up there sometimes with the Christmas story, Y'all know how I love that movie. Battle's up there with my favorite movie. So, in the movie, basically, you got two old men, and they just, they're retired, and they fish, and they just pester each other the whole time. They just, you know, they pull pranks on one another. Uh, one time, they've got, you know, uh, the, the the guy's cat uses the bathroom on the other guy's newspaper, so he goes out and buys a big bulldog, and it goes after, runs through his house, runs after that cat, you know, all, all, all that stuff. But in, in the, the movie, they fish a lot, and Uh, There's this this famous catfish. Does anybody remember the name of that catfish? Catfish Hunter is the name. And it's just this ginormous catfish that, you know, growing up, that they, they just tried for years and years. Their dad, their granddad, they tried it for years and years and years, never could catch this fish. And finally, one of these guys ends up getting remarried. He was a widower, and he gets remarried, and it's the day of his wedding, and he finds out somebody saw that catfish nearby. So they go fishing. Yeah, you know the rest. He shows up late to his wedding, but they caught the fish. They caught that fish, and he, he said this. He said, if I die today, I die, happy man. It's because he caught this catfish, because it was just so important. It was so foundational for them. It was just such a, a big feature, and just that really doesn't have anything to do necessarily with my sermon, just since we're talking about fishing. I just love the movie we want to talk about it for a second. Um, so, uh, but they, they catch the fish. He goes, gets married. You know, everything's great. Uh, but just kind of give you a recap of where we've been. The first week we talked about the call to fish. And Marty talked about, you know, um, Jesus calling the disciples saying, I will make you fishers of what? Men. Fishers of men. Much more important than just fish in the sea, right? The second week we talked about fishing where the fish are biting. It's, so it was even that, you know, the strategic gospel mission that we have that we're not just like, you know, we're just going to just, talk about it here and then that's it you know if they show up to church they can hear it then but like it's not any other you know specific or we're not like out in the world and like really examining the spiritual darkness around us. really examining and looking at people because there are people that you and I both know who are more ready to receive the gospel than others would we all agree with that this morning I think there are and I think part of being a Christian part of being on mission part of being gone fishing is being able to see those things and to pray through those things process those things and to to be strategic in who we go to, because unlike Jesus, unlike God, we do not have infinite capabilities, do we? We are finite creatures with limited time, with limited resources, with limited ability. And so we have to steward those things well, because one day we will give an account for those things. The next week, we talked about fishing with grace and truth, of how we're able to graciously proclaim the gospel message that, you know, we don't just walk around as Christians and show up at big football games and... Show up at, you know, things where they're filming stuff on TV, hold up big signs with Bible verses or hold up big signs of, you know, y'all are going to hell and, you know, you need to do this and need to do that. Like, no. Fishing with grace and truth means going to people as Jesus did, building relationships with people. And if you're new to our church or don't know a lot about our church, that is one of the foundational principles of our church, is actually getting to know people, finding out where they are, finding out where they've been, kind of. Working with them through their doubts, through, through their, their obstacles, through the issues that they have that are preventing them from really being on fire for God, really being all out for him. Um, so, so we talked about how we do that, and Jesus demonstrates that, de- uh, demonstrating this grace and truth. And we'll talk a lot about that today as well. And then last week, we talked about fishing with good news. It's, it's very similar to fishing with grace and truth. Obviously, you have that truth, but it's that decisive, that, that kicker. Of where we proclaim Christ. We proclaim not just the benefits of Christ, not just the benefits of relationship with Him, but Christ Himself. The wrath of God satisfied for us, justice being satisfied satisfied, and us having a knowledge of God, of us having that fullness in Him. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit scary. Ooh. Okay. This is something that's a little bit painful. Becoming the bait. Okay? Listen, alright, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not necessarily like super excited or keen like, hey, I'm just going to be a worm here and just have a hook go through me and just y'all just throw me out and fish, you know, fish catch me, fish catches me, I'm gone. Um, but the call to come to Christ is not just a call to come to him. Part of that is a call to come and die. That is what the gospel, that's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in the 1940s. It's a call to come and to die, to die to ourselves. And and is that not what it means to proclaim that Jesus is Lord? Is that not what it means to say to the master, uh, the bass fisherman here, the bass master? Is it not to just say to him, hey, you are Lord now. You are in control. You are the fisherman, and I am the bait here. It's to give him control. It's not just to ask him into your heart. It's not just to to repeat a prayer. It's not just to, to, you know, walk the aisle or to make a decision or to fill out a card or start serving or start showing up at home team. It is... While those are great things, and, I, and we love for you to do those things, it is more than that. It is saying you are in control. And it, um, on Wednesday nights, we've been talking a lot. Motown Madness, the, the theme was here and now. And so kind of going off that, we've been talking about like the last five, six weeks about, you know, how do we follow Jesus here and now? What does that mean? Uh, and how do we share our faith here and now? And what are obstacles to that? So it been a lot, very similar to what we've talked about on Sunday mornings. But one of the we talked about is, In order for us now, today, to understand what it means to follow Jesus, we have to understand what it meant in the first century when Jesus was walking through Jerusalem and he looked at somebody and said, Hey, hey, come follow me. We need to know what that meant. What did that mean? No, it did not mean, hey, just, just say you're sorry. Hey, just feel guilty. Hey, just ask me in your heart. No, you know what it meant? Jesus was saying, hey, I want you to believe in me, to trust in me, to walk with me, and he was saying, there's going to be a cost to it. You're going to have to leave your job. You're going to have to leave your home. You're going to have to leave the comfort and the predictability of your life, of being able to every day, this is what I'm going to do, this is where I'm going to go eat, so I'm going to go hang out with these guys. Leave all of that and come follow me and be willing to die for me. That's what it meant when Jesus walked and said, come follow me. It was a call to come and die. It was a call to be the bait. And so today, as as, as you guys know, our, our student ministry is called the Well. And this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. We're going to be talking about the woman at the well in John chapter four, and, and in this entire chapter, it exemplifies, totally exemplifies what this entire series is about. What it really means to be gone fishing. So I'm going to read through this and, and kind of give you a, a a highlight of of each sermon that we've talked about and where we find that. So the first one, Jesus goes fishing, so the call to fish. We see this in in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Not geographically did he have to, but Jesus was on a mission here. Jesus had a specific reason why he had to pass through samaria and we find out later in the text verse five so he came to a town of samaria called sychar near the field that jacob had given to his son joseph jacob's well was there so jesus wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well it was about a it was about the sixth hour so so we know all this if, if you're familiar with the rest of this passage as we'll get to is this isn't just by chance this isn't just by happenstance like jesus specifically goes fishing doesn't he he specifically goes to the place where all the other Jews would avoid. All the other Jews would just they would take the long route home so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria because they don't want to be around the Samaritans. You know, we all have all the, the racism that was a part of that, the um, you know, just the, the just the, the outcasts that just those were just those people, the rejects. And they didn't want to be associated with him, but Jesus intentionally goes there and in his omnipotence knows there's a woman that's gonna be there and I'm gonna have a meeting with her. So we see that he goes fishing. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus knew she was going to be there, didn't she? And not only did he know she was going to be there, don't you think the sovereign Christ sort of orchestrated those events for her to be there and for him to be there? Don't you think so? And what does he do? He is fishing where the fish are biting. The risen Savior is fishing where the fish are abiding. He knows that the story of that woman. He knows her heart. He knows her brokenness. Her struggles. Where she is. And Jesus pursues her. He goes where the fish are abiding. We see as the text goes down, and, and I'm not going to read all of it right yet, um, but Jesus begins to talk with her and, and, and talk about um, the water that I will give you will become a spring of water well to eternal life. It says, Whoever drinks of this water you'll thirst again, but whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. They go on and they have this theological conversation because the Samaritans were aware. They were totally aware of like, you know, one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to redeem us, he's going to save us, even though, you know, we're the Samaritans and, uh, you know, we're not a part of the the 100%, you know, cream of the crop Jews here. Like they were aware of these things, and we'll find out how they were aware of those things later. Um, But as as, as they, they had this conversation, Jesus didn't just ignore her questions, does he? They go on and talk about where are we to worship. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship God. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So he has this just gracious and truthful conversation. They're ta- he's talking truth, right? And he's gracious to her. He's merciful to her. This is how he fishes, not rough, not with judgment, not with condemnation, but with gentleness, with mercy. And then we find out that Jesus fishes with good news. He fishes us with the good news. And what is the bait himself? He uses himself as the bait. The woman says. I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ when he comes, he will tell us all things. And this right here, this right here is the kicker of this passage here. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, He." And so think about that. They've had this full conversation. She, she has walked to the well the hottest part of the day. Because she doesn't want anybody to see her. She's insecure. She's full of shame. She's full of remorse, regret of all the things that she had done. Jesus called her out on her husband's Verse 16, go call your husband, come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband you've had five husbands and the one you now have is your husband, what you have said is true. So think about her. Think about the brokenness. Think about the public humility of her life. If you're not not familiar with the first century at all, women were not taken in high regard either. Like, you're not just going to listen to what a woman would say. They They just didn't do that let alone the harlot of the community. And yet Jesus speaks to her, intentionally pursues her, speaks to her, fishes for her, and reveals himself to her. I who speak to you am he. So I've got a couple questions for us today. As we'll see, the woman has a testimony. She's going to have a testimony after this encounter. And so today, if you... Have had an encounter with Christ. If Jesus has become Lord. If the gospel has become real. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Then you have a testimony. You have one. I'll share just part of my own. This past week on Wednesday. Was 12 years to the date. That I watched my dad die. As a 10 year old child. 12 years. And so, there are so many hard things about that. It was such a hard situation, obviously, and things I still struggle with, and there are effects of that that I continue to have. But what I didn't know then is, is what God was going to do through that. What I didn't know then, what I didn't know until my freshman year of high school, is that it was going to be that suffering, it was going to be that just, just difficulty that would bring me to Him. And so many things of how I reacted to that, my anger, my sin. And still, all this time, I thought I was a Christian. I believed the Bible. You know, I had prayed to receive Christ. I got baptized. You know, I was a member of my church. You know, all those things. But then I had this experience when I was a freshman in high school of something was different. Like, I knew what happened is, is I met God in such a way that I had never seen Him before that I had a, a, a release from all that anger, all that fear, all that just, just tiredness over my suffering, over the deadness that I had felt for so long, that I knew something had happened. It even really took until the last couple years that I really began to see, man, that's really when I became a Christian. Because all the time before, you know, I believed the Bible, you know, had all this intellectual knowledge. I didn't share my faith. I didn't. I didn't, have any, I didn't really feel a need to honestly I didn't weep over my sin i didn't really there were times I felt guilty times I went to church man I'm just going to quit doing that man I' feel bad but there were never genu- there was never a genuine conviction like I want Christ more than that. I want to know him. there was never any of that until after this experience until after just God showed up and I repented of my sin and gave him everything and get submitted to his lordship. I think about my mom who uh, on, in 2012, the same day, April 5, 2012, seven years to the date, she came to know Christ. And I love just on a, just on a side note how God just redeemed that date. That kid's just awesome just to think how God redeemed that date for me and in my life and for her. And, and basically, you, you would have never known. She taught Sunday school. She tithed. She was at church all the time. Um, she was raising two future pastors. Like, everybody thought this woman, she was the Christian. But see, it was just an intellectual faith. It was just like me believing our cappuccinos fixed. But if I never go over there and get a cup of it, I don't know what it tastes like. Do I? And yet it came that day that she realized that. And she tasted and saw that the Lord was good and things were different. Things changed. So a testimony, the definition of a testimony is a formal, written, or spoken statement producing evidence. And that last part is very important, producing evidence. It's not just we walk around and say, hey, yeah, I gave my life to the Lord, and then our life looks the same. There's no evidence, is there? There's not. So a question for us today, what is your testimony? What is it? What what is your story of, man, I was here, this is where I was for so long, and, and, and then something happened? I was dead, and now I'm alive. We had a girl in our youth group just several weeks ago who she'll be baptized here on Easter Sunday. Who you thought she was a Christian? You thought she was. She thought she was, but she realized that it was just an intellectual faith. She realized, and this is what she literally told him, told me. I just I finally realized that I was dead in my sin and that I needed Christ. That's what she said. And if you're a Christian here today, that's your story. But if it's not, if it's not, that's something you need to examine about yourself. So are you sharing it? If that's your story, are you sharing your faith? Are you sharing your testimony? Because that's going to be the most strategic and powerful way that you can communicate with other people. There are so many obstacles to why we don't share our testimony. We've been talking about those at youth group, and one of them, we talked about shame. We talked about Peter. Remember what he did? Denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion. And he wept bitterly. That's what the text says. He went out and wept bitterly. Think about that. This is your Lord, your best friend. For three years you you followed him. And you deny him. But then what we see in Acts chapter 2 is he preaches, doesn't he? To thousands of people and thousands come to know Jesus. Don't they? How did that happen? It happened through repentance. It happened through... You know, I can't change what happened, but I can change what will happen. And he moved on. We talked about uh, being fear of the unknown. I got up here and had two big paint cans and put a two by four on top of it and walked across it. You better believe everybody in this room was begging and praying I'd fall off it. Um, But, you know, I walked across that and talked about, man, we're just afraid. Right here, we're just afraid of what's over there. And so we just, we hunker down and we hold fast because we don't know. There's so much unknown there and we're scared after uh, Jesus had resurrected and He appeared to the disciples twice, you know what the, uh, the disciples go back and do? They go fish. They literally go back fishing. Why? How could they have just seen the risen cross twice and they're going fishing? Don't you think there's some more important things to be doing? But don't you think there's a little bit of fear there? There was a little bit of, what's going to happen next? And so they went back to what? They know. I went back to what they knew. So are you sharing your faith? And then the last question I want to really pose for us today is, if you're not sharing your faith, if you're not sharing your testimony with other people, if you're not sharing how God has, has raised you from the dead, how, how He's changed you, if you're not sharing how, how, man, I was here and I was doing this and I was thinking this, and it's not just to say you have to have a testimony like my stepdad who was a, you know, biker, owned tattoo shops, you know, well, he'll, he'll tell you all these stories about... This is his quote. Beating the Lord out of somebody, okay? Like, all the, this this story, this rough story. You don't have to have... Like, maybe your story's like my mom. You've been raised in church. Been in church all your life. You tithe, Done all the good things. You believe all this stuff in your head. But you have never had a genuine repentance experience. Jesus is not really Lord over your life. You've not tasted and seen the Lord as good. You have no desire for the Bible... You have no desire to share your faith because guess what? It's not your faith. It's just something you believe. Like I believe that cappuccino works, but I'm not using it right now, am I? And so I want us to pose those questions. I want us to really feel the weightiness of that. And I feel like the text will call that to us today. So verse 27, we're going to kind of explain all this that I've said so far. We're going to explain it here with what the text tells us. So verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? He didn't say that. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So back to verse 27. The disciples were surprised. Just to go again back to this whole dynamic with the first century and how women were treated, especially a woman like this. They were surprised that he was speaking to this woman. Very surprised. Also part of the dynamic is that Jewish men would not just speak to a woman in public. They didn't do that. It was just very disrespectful for them. And yet Jesus is speaking to her. But in yet it seems like still something something's a little bit deeper going on that they're not even aware of. That they shut up. That they're quiet. Sometimes that's our biggest challenge. Just shutting up and understanding what's going on around us and maybe pulling our weight. Grabbing a side of the net and just helping somebody else who's fishing. 28 through 30, uh, uh, the woman drops everything, doesn't she? The woman's, uh, a little bit early. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the, she, she dropped everything. She just left it there. So let's let's contextualize here. She left her keys, she left her phone in her purse, and she just ran back into town. Like, who cares? Who cares about my $24.13 in my purse and my iPhone? Like, these people have to know that this is the Christ. This is what it looks like to be truly caught by Jesus, to be truly caught by the true Bass Master. This is what it looks like to have tasted and seen for yourself that he is good. That you've actually tasted. It's one thing to know that honey sweet's another thing to taste it. John Calvin, he said this, this is the nature of faith, of true faith. That when we have shared eternal life, we want to bring other people to share it with us. It is impossible that a knowledge of God should lie buried, in an active, buried and inactive in our hearts and not show in front of men. It is impossible. That we could have this. And not share it. Impossible. Let's go back to. And just remember for a moment. Why was the woman. There. Getting water at the hottest time of the day. Because the anxiety. The fear of being seen by others. Crippled her. She knew. How bad she was. she knew how broken she was. she knew that she was not pursuing God and she was afraid. she was afraid and yet Jesus meets with her in that. Jesus he doesn't wait you see that He doesn't just wait for her to be cleaned up before he goes fishing for her? He goes after her in the midst of her issues. And somehow, this is what's really important. So she walks to the well, fearful, insecure, you know, burnt out, just tired, ready just to give up. Full of shame, full of regret and remorse. And yet, something happens at the well that we talked about, and she leaves. And by some power, she's brought from the shame and insecurity and the guilt to exclamation to proclamation, to fishing for others. How does that happen? How does that happen? It seems that there's there's something a little bit more than, it's, than her. It seems that there's a power that it takes to do that, but it's not from her, is it? I think one of the things that's also really important we see here in this passage is, she says, can this be the Christ? So we see by her response to going in and sharing that it seems that she has met Christ. That Christ reveals himself to her spiritually when he says, I who speak to him, he. But yet, even in the midst of that, there is some doubt. There's some tr- True faith is not doubtless. I think we have that false misconception that if we're a Christian, if we're following Jesus, we can't be doubtful. That we can't have fears and anxieties ever. We shouldn't have those, but we do and we process those, and we pray about those, and repent about those, and we share those with our people in our small group, with people we love and trust, and we pray over those things. But true faith is not doubtless. But it's actually believing in the midst of doubts. It's being okay with not knowing all the hows and whys of life and being content with what God has revealed to us. All the the aspects of my testimony, I don't really understand totally. Like, I don't understand why God had to do certain things to accomplish these other things. And yet, he accomplished what he wanted to. And I know him because of it. And I never look back. I can't. Next, we talked about this power. We talked about this power of of, of this message, of this power that she just, just, just drops everything. She drops everything. We see that the people listen to her. What did they say? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So evidently, judging by their response of coming to see Jesus, they heard her. They stopped what they were doing and heard her. How? This woman had no credibility. None. And yet they listened to her and believe her. This is the power of the gospel. That's the power of it. For you today, to share your testimony with other people, to share the gospel and to share how this good news has changed you, has changed your life, has raised you from the dead, and seated you with Christ. Your effectiveness is not going to be dependent on your theological knowledge. It's not going to be effective dependent upon your church attendance. It's not going to be effective depending on, you know, how much do you tithe? Or, you know, did you say a bad word when you hit your your hand with a hammer the other day? Like, it's not going to be effective based on those things. It's going to be effective based on the reality of the gospel itself. So has the gospel really changed you? Are you still dead in your sin or have you really been raised to life with Christ? Because if you've been raised to life with him, the power is in the message. That's where it is. And doesn't that just feel so much better? That man, I do not have to be a scholar. That I don't have to be able to quote all of these verses and remember where they are. But I just have to present the gospel. And how God has changed me because of the redeeming sacrifice upon the cross for me. Knowing Jesus and sharing his message is not dependent on your skills. It's not dependent on your talents. It's not dependent on your gifts, your abilities, your family, your, your upbringing. It's dependent on Christ himself. Let's think about a couple people. Abraham. You know, what, you know what he did before God called him? He was a pagan. He wasn't just walking around seeking after God. Psalms 14 says that no one seeks God, not even one. And yet God showed mercy to him and revealed himself to him. And then think about all of this whirlwind of issues that he had. Think about Moses. Moses wasn't a good speaker. Moses had a speech impediment. He couldn't talk well. And yet God used him to proclaim the coming Messiah. Didn't he? David, who was an adulterer and murderer. God continued to use him to proclaim Christ who was to come. Peter, the coward. Paul, murderer. And yet it was through all these men that the gospel came to us, isn't it? Imperfect. Insecure. Guilt driven people. So much like us. And yet. They shared the good news. And they shared how God had moved in their lives. How God had changed them. How God had raised them from the dead. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And basically, uh, from here to verse 38, he goes in and talks about how, um, do you not see where your priorities are? Do you not see how, like, you're so worried about this physical stuff, I'm sitting here having a spiritual conversation with somebody. I'm sitting here, I've intentionally came here to pursue her and all these people. And so he asked them to reorient their priorities. And I think from that we get some stuff. We have some practical implications for us of how we need to promote holy priorities. So how about this? People, real people that you know are more important and valuable and deserving of your time and attention than your financial security. Then how much is in your 401k? How much is in your savings account? I'm not saying those things aren't important. They are. And we know this time of the year, everybody's thinking about all that stuff. But people and their eternal souls are more important than your financial security. People are more important than if your kids are on the honor roll or if they made the dean's list or if they're going to college or they don't want to go to college. People are more important than that. The eternal souls of people who need Jesus who are walking around broken and they need redemption. They're more important. How about this? I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. People are more important than politics. Than your political persuasion. Then the Republican Party. We spend all this time of demeaning anybody who disagrees with us, sharing all this stuff on Facebook, posting all this stuff, treating people like they're idiots, not even realizing that, hey, they need Jesus. And guess what? Because of the things I've said, things I've posted about, they're never going to listen to me. There have been relationships that I don't have. There, have been, there, there, there are people that I'm never going to really be able to effectively reach because of political things that I thought to post about on Facebook. People are more important than that. People are more important than having a comfortable, predictable life. Because isn't that what we really want? We just want to be comfortable. We want everything to just be perfect with family, with with relationships, with marriage, with our kids. And it's just like, man, it just kills us. And it's just like we can't even go. We can't even have a drive to go and pursue Jesus. We're like, why have you done this to me? Because we expect all this comfort. We expect all this just easy life. But what if we shifted that focus and shifted those priorities and more really focused on the people themselves than how people make us feel? John Piper said this, only those who are so heavenly minded that they're free from this world or of any earthly good. And I don't know about you all, but I want to be, some, uh, be of some earthly good. I want this church to be of some earthly good. I want us together as a body to make a difference, to make a dent in the kingdom. When we stand before God, I want to say that this counted for something. And that we focused more on things of eternal value than things of this world. New car. New house, new boat, bunch of fun stuff to do. But I want to say that we spent everything for the kingdom. This life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. So he reorients their priorities and shifts them to say that this is what matters more. Sharing me, sharing Jesus. With someone else. One of the things that we also get in that is we see that the whole reason that these people were flocking to him and the whole reason that this woman even had a framework to accept. Did, so, did you see that? This was not a, a Mars Hill, Acts chapter um, 17 account here, where he was having to talk about all this other stuff, where he was having to be strategic and all this, because they had a biblical framework, they knew about the Messiah. So how did they have that framework? Because there were people before they got there who were already preaching, who were already testifying to the good news, who were already sharing their testimony and sharing how Christ was going to come. And so he says that, um, that, that you are entering into their labor. He says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So even these people, these prophets for hundreds of years who they didn't benefit, Their testimony, they didn't see the benefit of this, did they? But years and years and years and years and years and years later, Jesus and his disciples reap the benefit of their work. So much of our work now, so much of our sharing our faith now, we're not going to see an immediate benefit. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I get discouraged about that. Sometimes I get really discouraged with our students. Because sometimes I really genuinely feel like nobody cares. They don't care. And sometimes they really don't. I mean, I was there too. Sometimes I really did But yet, I continue to benefit from the work that other people poured into me. And I have to trust that God's going to do what He's going to do. My call is to fish. Our call is to fish. And God will decide if a fish is caught. He will decide. So it takes a resting in that it, and it takes a, 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 a just want just 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 for us to understand even more that, that your testimony is important. It's important. Verse thirty nine, many Samaritans from that town believed in him. They believed in Jesus. Why? What's it say? Because of the woman's testimony, he did all that I ever or he he told me all that I ever did. Because of her testimony, they believed. You want to feel like you're following Christ? Share your faith with others. And when you see that harvest, even if we don't see it in this life and we see it in the next, when we see that harvest, think of the joy, think of the reward of being able to come to Christ and not say, hey, I did all this. Hey, I gave you all this money. Because what does the Old Testament tell us? What does Psalms tell us about a sacrifice to God? It says that he doesn't desire all this other stuff. He desires a broken and contrite heart. That's what a sacrifice truly pleasing to him is. And so think about that. In eternity, coming to him and saying, hey. Grabbing a net. And saying, look. I got all these fish for you. Here you go. This is for you, Jesus, because I love you and because this message changed me and raised me to life. And I just can't help it. I had to tell. I had to share. So when the Samaritans came to him, came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word, the gospel. The testimony of the good news. That Jesus has fulfilled the demands. That Jesus has fulfilled the standard that God requires for us to know Him. For us to be saved from His wrath. Christ experienced that for us. Christ suffered for us. And in Him there is joy. In Him there is a fullness of life. Psalm 16:11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the news. Verse 42. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you've said that we believe. And this, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our students and for those that we meet over here at the school at FCA or going to a football game. Or we're out here at the tomato festival just getting to know people. Is that they would be able to say. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. But we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. This is really what I needed all along. This is really who I wanted all along. And to find fullness in him. Because of the word of our testimony. Because of the word of the gospel. And how God has raised us to lie. So they believe because of that, because of her testimony. So what is your testimony? What is it? And this week at home teams, you're gonna have an opportunity to share that. Well actually we don't have home teams, do we? We'll be here. You can share that here this Wednesday night. We have our celebration, share your testimony. Encourage somebody else. And maybe it's just you you just had a hard life. Things have been rough. Let me tell you something. I am more encouraged by people who've had a hard time than people who've had a really good time. Would you all agree? That I'm encouraged by other people who have suffered than people who seem like they haven't. That's what encourages. Suffering. A testimony of suffering encourages. And how God has used that for His glory and your good. So how has God rescued you and how has He changed you? Think about those things this week. Be ready to share those. How is he using you? It's not by chance that you're working the job you are or that you're a stay-at-home mom or that you're a retired grandparent. You are where you are because God has put you there. And you know why he's put you there? Because there are people who need what you have. There are people who need to know your story. They need to know the problems that you're having with your kids. And how you're entrusting to God those problems. And how you don't understand everything. You're tired. Things can be really hard. But you are trusting in Him. They need to hear that. They need to hear about your past divorce. They need to hear about your your financial struggles. They need to hear about your issues with your parents. They need to hear a story that a, a former graduate of Uh, Granger High School shared on Tuesday about how she was raped from 8 years old to 16 and just partied and partied just that she could just just block all that. They need to hear that. Because guess what? They're suffering too. And they need to hear that yes, I'm suffering but I consider the sufferings of this present time nothing worth compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. That's what they need to hear. Let us be humble. Let us be willing to share our testimony. And not be selfish. Not be insecure. Jesus stays for two days. More come to know Him. Why? Because of His Word. Because of His Word. Presenting Himself. Your friends, your family members, your co-workers. They're not in need of the best argument or speech. This is something that I really had to learn the hard way. That God is not just given me a mission uh, to go out and just to argue. Because I like to argue in case you don't know me. Okay? I like it. It's kind of fun sometimes, you know? Sometimes I just do it out of spot just to get something going. Um, But arguing, I just like to argue, and and, and I hate to be wrong. I want to be right 100% of the time. Okay? And if I'm not right, most of the time I'll just not say anything and then just go and read and research. Okay? But I want to be right. But what people need, they don't need me to come and talk to them and be 100% right about all this stuff. That's important. Absolutely important for us to know. But what they need is they need truth. They need the word. They need the gospel. And they need to hear from me. Why I really believe this. And how the power of it has changed me. And raised me to life. And helps me to live. Empowers me. They need to hear that. Marty said this in the first week. And I love this quote that he said. If you're not fishing you're not following. Period. Think about that. If you're not fishing, then you're not following. Because you can't. You can't have tasted and seen the goodness of Christ and not share it. John Calvin said it's impossible. Because this is the nature of faith that once you have really truly received this sin, you go with it. And the going. See, and this is what I get tired of. There's so much in the church world and the Christian world and so many conversations that I've heard with pastors of, man, how do we just get our people to share their faith? How do we get our people just to really be on mission? How do we do this? How, how, well, maybe the problem is not that people are just not on mission. Maybe the problem is there's so many people who have not bought into the mission. Maybe there's so many people who they just think they're Christians because it's just a part of life here in the South. It's the way they were raised. And it makes them feel better makes them feel like they're good because they leave here after a good Sunday sermon. But Jesus is not really Lord. The The call to go, the call to share, it's not simply a command, but it is a natural response to following Jesus. If you jump in water, you're going to get wet. hate to break that to you this morning. I know that's really just ground shaking. Okay, just mind blown. Okay, But if you don't jump in water, you won't get wet, will you? So, if you know Jesus, then He will rule over your life. He will be Lord. He will call the shots. You will go to Him, and you will ask counsel from Him. You'll get godly counsel about others, about different things. And guess what? You know, a lot of times you're going to get responses, and God's going to tell you to do things that a lot of people around you are not going to be happy with. That a lot of people around you are going to think you're crazy. I'll use my mom for example. Sorry mom if you're listening. Somewhere. Okay? She got saved then met this tattooed up six foot three biker and they dated for like two weeks and then got married. She called her mom the day of and said, hey I'm getting married this morning if you want to come. You know why? Because she was tore up about that whole thing, okay? My mom is very straight laced, very just clean cut, very not tattoo. You know, she just was never usually like that. She's actually got a tattoo now, which is really weird. Um, but anyways, but she was not like that at all. She like me and my brother grew up on professional wrestling and like I can't tell you how many just you can't watch that anymore or you know, just screaming at us for wrestling out in the backyard on the trampoline or something. Like she was just very kind of Straight lays. So something like this, such a huge risk, was not something that easily came to her. But she knew Christ. She prayed about it. She felt like this is what God wanted her to do. She got godly counsel, talked to our youth pastor, talked to my grandmother who turns 99 next month, got counsel from her, and just said, hey, you know, prayed about it. Thought like this is where God's leading. And when Jesus says the Lord of your life, you're, you're going to do things that just look absolutely crazy. But if you're doing it for Him and His glory and not for yourself, we just got to go. We just got to do it. And not look back. If you're not fishing, you're not following. So, in our lives every day, how are we fishing? Who are we going after? Who are we looking and praying about? God, let me. what about them? God, just reveal to me today who in my workplace can I share my faith effectively with today? My testimony. It's going to happen. I promise you that it's gonna happen. Be intentional. Say, "Hey, what are you, what are you doing tomorrow for lunch? Go to lunch with him. Sit down and talk to him. Hey, like what? Like I've always just kind of wondered. Like, what do you think about kind of some of this stuff? Like, what's your testimony? Then you share yours. Boom, you got it. And then you pray. God, open their heart to see you." And to see that this glorious message, this gospel message, is not just a message of "Hey, you got to follow these rules now," but it's it's Christ saying, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Your brokenness, your stress, your anxiety, you're just being tired and worn out. Your insecurity, your shame, your regret. Bring it to me. I want it. I'll take it. That's what they need." Through the story of the woman at the well, not only do we see that the gospel is a saving message, but we see that it's a sending one. So today, if you're here and this gospel is yours, and Jesus is yours, then you have been sent on mission for him. The mission, the message of it, is that we're saved from God's wrath, saved from the power of death, saved from ourselves safe from what destroys us, and we're sent to the world to share it with others. One pastor said, go, send, or disobey. That's our options, church. So this week, will you be going? Will you be sending? Are we just going to do the same old, same old? I'm going to get a little bit personal real quick. Let's look around in here for a second. There's a good bit of empty chairs in here, aren't there? I have a feeling there's a lot of people who might be here had they heard our testimony. Not just because we invited them to church, but because they heard what Christ has done for us. I think there'll be a lot more people in here. And I'm not just, y'all know I'm not an attendance-driven guy, but we're talking about real people here who need to know how Jesus has worked in your life because this community, this county, This region is full of people who've heard Jesus died for your sin, God loves you. But so many people who've not seen that actually lived out. They've not actually seen someone say, hey, this is how my life was, and Christ has rescued me, and this is where I am right now, still struggling, riding the struggle bus, tired, wore out, stressed, but Christ is sufficient for my need, and He's working. And I'm not who I once was. What is it? Uh, Tim McGraw, he said, uh, I'm not as good as I'm going to get, but I'm better than I used to be. That's our message, is it not, folks? I never thought I'd quote him in a sermon, but okay. Uh, So the call stands. It stands. Just one verse real quick. Acts 4.20. The disciples, some of the disciples were out, you know, they're sharing Jesus, and y'all know kind of the persecution that started going on there. Um, but they were brought before the council and they said, we're judging you right now. Don't go out here and speak about Jesus anymore. Don't go out here and share your faith. Don't go out here and share your testimony. You know what they say? We cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. Because Christ has done this for me. He has conquered me. He rules over me. He's removed my hard heart and given me faith and trust in Him. And now I find my satisfaction, my joy, my fulfillment in Him. And I'm able to come in on Sunday morning to worship and to be just totally filled with peace and joy. Even though all this just crap in my life has happened, and even though I just feel like a failure, I look to the cross and see the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. He suffered for my sake. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And we sing in joy. So the call stands for us. As Tyler comes up, I'm going to pray. Go and fish. Not now and later, but here and right now. Today. Go. This life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. May we as a church and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, may we be gone fishing. Let's pray. Father God, I just give you grace. And thanks and praise this morning, God, for, for your word, which convicts us, which draws us to repentance. God, I thank you that it restores our faith. God, I, I thank you for a message that is just raw and gritty and it's real. God, I pray as we, we walk through the series together, what it really means to be a fisherman for you. God, I pray that this church, T-CAR, and these people would be gone fishing every day. God, I pray that we would intentionally pursue other people who need to know how You have changed our lives. Who need to know that the wrath of God has been satisfied upon Christ. And that we have found joy in that. God, I pray that You would just release us from our shame, from our insecurity, and know and be reminded that all of that stuff has been placed upon Your Son, Jesus. The perfect, spotless Lamb. God, I pray that every day we would use our life for what lasts. God, may you release us from the love of money, of comfort and security, of a nice house, of a nice yard, property, real estate, cars, our kids, doing well in school, getting good jobs. God, release us from all the good stuff that we make ultimate things that drive us and that take so much of our time. God, and may You put in our heart the burden, the desire for the people around us. God, I pray for the people in this room who they think they know You. They think they've been a Christian for years upon years. But God, they have never truly passed from death to life. I pray today that they would pass from death to life. God, I pray that You would raise them up with Christ, seated with Him on the throne, At your right hand. I pray that today would be a new day for them, for us, that we would live on mission, that we would fish, and that we would be so heavenly minded that we were free from this world. Christ made you become all to us. God, nothing else matters. It is finished, it is done. To the world salvation comes. Hallelujah, you're alive. Hell was silenced when you cried. It is finished. May we proclaim that truth. That it is finished. We ask it in the name of our Christ, our King. Our Master Fisherman, our Lord and our Christ. Our Savior, Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.